Genesis chapter 11, let's turn there in our Bibles. Now, Genesis 11 raises a crucial question. Here's some background so you can see how this question comes up. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve, the heavens and the earth, and Adam and Eve find themselves in paradise. But then tragically in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and sin spreads throughout the world so that by the time we get to chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 5, everybody on the earth is sinning constantly, continuously. And in justice, God brings his judgment upon the world, and, and we see the flood coming, destroying everyone on the earth. That's Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. Except God saves Noah through the ark. But then, after the flood, even after the flood, from Genesis 9 through Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, we see once again sin spreading through the earth, so that once again, by the time we get to Genesis 11, verse 9, everybody on, on the earth is sinning constantly and continuously. There's no hint of anyone walking with God in Genesis 10 or the first half of Genesis 11. So at the end of Genesis 11, verse 9, we're left with a question. What is God going to do? Again, the earth is filled with sin. The last time this happened, he brought the flood. What's he going to do this time? Is he going to destroy everyone? Is he just going to cast us all into hell and be done with us? What's God going to do now that the earth has once again been filled with sin? And to show us what God is going to do, Moses gives us a genealogy. You might wonder, why would Moses give us a genealogy? I hope that after the next few minutes you'll see why. But he gives us the genealogy of Shem, which starts in Genesis 11, verse 10. So why does Moses focus on Shem's genealogy? Remember who Shem was? Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And Moses focuses on Shem's genealogy to remind us of the prophecy that God gave Noah to speak over Shem back in chapter 9, verse 26. So go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 9, verse 26. Here's the setting. The flood is over. God has judged sin. But sin hasn't been removed because we see Noah sins with drunkenness, tragically. And then Noah's son, Ham, sins by dishonoring his father, Noah. And so sin is back, even after the flood. And so readers could wonder, maybe sin's just going to destroy God's purposes for the world. Maybe sin is going to keep God's saving purposes from actually happening. And so God gives Noah three prophecies to speak, one over each of his sons. And the prophecy he gives concerning Shem is especially powerful. Look at chapter 9, verse 26. He, Noah also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. Now notice, in some special way, God is the God of Shem, which means that God's plan of salvation, which he promised all the way back in chapter 3, verse 15, remember, one of Eve's offspring is going to crush Satan's head. So God's plan of salvation is some way going to be fulfilled through the line of Shem. 
Now, with that in mind, go back to chapter 11, Genesis 11. Even though at the end of chapter 11, verse 9, sin has once again spread throughout the earth, this focus on Shem's genealogy in verse 10 shows us that God is still moving ahead with his plan of salvation and that it is going to happen through the line of Shem and we learn more about how it's going to happen by reading this genealogy. Okay, so at this point we're all wondering what's God going to do and the answer is look at the line of Shem, look at this genealogy. So let's read it together starting in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now stop there. Shem's genealogy which was prophesied back in chapter 9, verse 26, that through Shem, God was going to accomplish his saving purposes. So Shem's genealogy brings us to Terah, who has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, in the next section, the focus is going to be on Abram. And Abram, the word Abram means exalted father. God ends up changing his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, and we'll see why as we go ahead through the book of Genesis. But at this point, he's just called Abram. So let's look at what Moses tells us about Abram. Here's the focus of this genealogy. It's bringing Abram into the spotlight. Verse 27, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. She couldn't get pregnant. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so the story starts off in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is right over... Do we have a map? 
Thanks, man. Right over here. Okay, the story starts there. And um, Tara wants to travel to Canaan, which is over here. But this is all rough desert. And so you go up through this way, plus there's water on the way. And they stop in Haran, and they settle there. Now, one of the sons, Haran has a son named Lot. Haran dies. Uh, before they went to Haran, uh, but there was no connection between the city of Haran and Terah's son, Haran, two entirely different things. But Abram and Nahor take wives. Abram's wife's name is Sarai, and Sarai's not able to get pregnant. So Terah wants to move, like I said, to Canaan, and he goes up by way of Haran, and he takes Abram with him, and he takes Sarai with him, and he takes Lot, his grandson, Abram's nephew with him. For some reason, he leaves Nahor back behind. And so right now we have, in Haran, we have Terah, Abram, Sarai, and Lot, and then Terah dies. And so we're left with Abram, Sarai, and Lot up in Haran. That's where the story brings us at this point. So it's clear now, again, Moses is showing us this genealogy of Shem, we're all asking the question, what's God going to do now? Sin has filled the earth again. Is, is it all over? And Moses' answer is no. Remember prophecy of Shem? Look at the genealogy. Focuses on Abram. And so we know that Abram has a central place in fulfilling God's plan of salvation for the world. Central place. So what do we learn about Abram in these verses? Okay, two things. Very important. One is that Abram's wife, Sarai, was not able to get pregnant. Moses emphasizes that by stating it twice in verse 30. The other thing that I noticed, see if you agree with me on this, and that is there's nothing said here about Abram's trust in God, worship of God, walking with God. Remember how in chapters past, Moses will emphasize like Enoch walked with God. We read that in chapter 5. Or Noah was righteous and blameless before God. We read that in chapter 6. But not a peep here about Noah's love, I mean, sorry, Abram's love for God, walking with God, devotion to God. And it makes me think maybe at this point Abram wasn't walking with God. And I think that's borne out when we look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Listen to what happens here. Here's Joshua talking to all the people of Israel. Here's what we read. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, there he is, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. And Ur of the Chaldees was a place where moon worshiping was happening, all kinds of idol worshiping was going on. So Terah was clearly an idol worshiper. Abram's father was an idol worshiper, which probably meant, since there's no mention of Abram walking with God at this point yet anyway, that Abram also was an, an idol worshiper. And that's important to point out because God did not choose Abram because of any particular qualifying characteristics in Abram. Abram was a sinful man at this point, just as we all have been. I think that's why nothing is said in these verses about Abram being righteous and blameless and walking with God. Okay, so here's where we are at the end of chapter 11. Sin has once again spread throughout the entire world. Moses reminds us, though, God prophesied that he would bring his saving purposes through the line of Shem. 
And then Moses gives us Shem's line, which ends up in Abraham. But the problem with Abraham is his wife can't get pregnant, so where's this genealogy going? And is Abraham walking with God? Probably not at this point from what we can see. So is God worried about these problems? One person got it right. Okay, the answer is no. God is never worried, just to let you know. That's not a trick question. God is not worried. So let's ask, what does God do now? And this is beautiful, what happens. Genesis chapter 12, start with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. So where's Abram's up in Haran? Remember, that's where he is at this point. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God reveals himself to Abram and calls him to leave everything he knows and is comfortable with and to go to a land that Abram knows nothing about but that he has to trust that God will lead him to. So he's taken his family, and and here we go. Verse 2, look at what God promises Abram. I will make of you a great nation. Now that's an astonishing statement because just in the previous chapter, verse 30, Sarah was not able to get pregnant. God is not worried about that. I am going to make of you a great nation. And this shows us a crucial piece of the puzzle. Because as we read through the Old Testament, we see that God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament focuses on one nation, the people of Israel. And through them, God wanted to display His glory to all the nations. They failed in that purpose. But God's plan was to work through a nation, the nation of Israel. Keep reading. Verse 2, God says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, this is an astonishing statement because God says he's going to bless Abram, but Abram had been a sinful man. He had knowingly and willfully turned his back on God like everyone had in chapter 10, everyone had in chapter 11, everyone in the whole world. And so how could God bless this sinful man? Same way he can bless any of us. It's because Looking at it from Abraham's time frame, from thousands of years in the future, Jesus was going to die on the cross and pay for Abram's sins. So all the punishment that Abram deserved for his sins, God the Father poured out upon Jesus, his son, on the cross. And so God could bring his power upon Abram and change Abram's heart and take out that idolatrous heart of stone and replace it with a submissive, God-centered, God-worshipping heart of flesh. And so God did that for Abram. Abram responded, put his trust in God, forgive me, what have I done? God forgave him. Abram was reconciled to God. He had all of God's love and promises for the rest of his life. Abram was saved, and so God says, I'm going to bless you because of what Jesus would do in the future. I will bless you and make your name great. Now, Just contrast that with what we saw last week in the beginning of chapter 11. Remember at the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make themselves a name. Remember that in the Tower of Babel? That's pride. Here God is going to make Abram's name 
great, which will give all the glory and the praise to God. Because if an idol-worshiping sinful man ends up with a name that's great, it's only by God's mercy through Jesus alone. So I will bless you, make your name great, God says, so that you'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, to be a blessing. Bless you, pouring out blessings to you, to be a blessing. That's how it should be with all of us who are following Christ, right? He pours his blessings out upon us, not to have them all stay here, but so that we can flow those blessings out to other people around us. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that's what happens here with Abraham. Then look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So here's a promise of protection. Everybody who blesses you, I'm going to bless them. Anyone who dishonors you, I will curse them. Protection. And then look at the end of verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is one of the most important promises in the Old Testament. I want us to get this promise this morning. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is shocking for a couple reasons. One is that up to this point, chapter 11, verse 9, all the earth was under God's cursing. Because of their sin, right? Everyone had turned their backs on God, knowingly, willfully, persistently, flagrantly sinned against God, and God in His justice brings His curse upon humanity, rightly, justly, righteously. So all of humanity was under God's curse because of their sin. But here God says to Abram that all the families of the earth are going to end up blessed. Now, what does that promise mean? I want to dig deeper into that so that we leave here this morning with our hearts just rocked by this promise and filled by this promise and strengthened by this promise and, and envisioned for our lives by this promise. So what does this promise mean? I want to break it into three parts. First, in you, and then all the families of the earth, and then third, will be blessed. What does each of these phrases mean? So let's start with in you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, God says to Abram. What does that mean? Now we can see what it means by looking at how, how God repeats this promise later in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, and look at how he repeats it, but with slightly different words. God's talking to Abram. He says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and here's the line, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So here, instead of saying, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, God says, in your offspring, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So all the families of the earth will be blessed in one of Abram's grandchildren. Great, 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 great grandchildren. So who is the grandchild, great, 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 great grandchild of Abram through whom all the families of the earth are going to be blessed? Don't answer out loud. I can tell you got it, though. This is good, church. This is good. But let's look at Galatians chapter 3.16. I want you to see where this is stated in the Scriptures. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what Paul writes many years later. Paul says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So who is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the families of the earth are going to receive God's blessing? It's Jesus Christ. The great, 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 great grandson of Abraham, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that's what it means. We're taking the phrase in you. In you means in Abraham's descendants, which is a reference to Christ himself. So think about this. Back in Genesis chapter 12, the end of verse 3, God is promising, prophesying the, the birth of his son. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Thousands of years before it happened, here's a prophecy of Jesus. In you, Abraham, in my son. Jesus is right there as the Holy Spirit was, was inspiring Moses to write these words. In you, in your descendant, in Jesus. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what's meant by that phrase, in you. So we got that? In you refers to whom? Jesus. Okay? Now, what does it mean that in you, all the families of the earth. Who's being talked about there? This word families, it's also uh, the word nations is used. We saw that in Genesis 22, 18. What's being talked about here is, is different ethnic groups, racial groups, different language or cultural or tribal groups. It's smaller little people groupings that are, and there's thousands and thousands of them in the world today. All the families of the earth. Now, let me show you how this is what is being talked about by having you look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. What God is promising Abram is that all the different ethnic, language, cultural people groups in the earth, they're all going to be touched by the blessing of God. And we see that in Revelation chapter 5. Here we can listen in on a worship song that's being sung in adoration of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And listen to what the worship is towards Jesus. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, speaking to Jesus, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. Now, taking the scroll and opening the seals is a picture of God's saving purposes are written in this scroll, and whoever takes that and opens it, that shows that God's saving purposes are being brought forth, are being fulfilled, are being unleashed upon the world. So who's worthy to bring God's saving purposes to the world? Jesus Christ. That's what's being sung here. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. That's why he's worthy. You were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. All the families of the earth. You see that there? Every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So when Jesus 
suffered and died on the cross, he was paying the ransom price for sin for people from every ethnic group, every racial group, every language group, every cultural group, every people group. He was saving people from every people group as he was dying on the cross. His heart was thinking about all the families of the earth, all the nations, all the peoples. Now, maybe you've already seen this in the scriptures, but if you haven't, don't miss this. God's saving passion is to save lots and lots and lots of people, yes. But God's saving passion is to have those lots and lots and lots of people include people from every ethnic group. There will not be one ethnicity missing in heaven. Every language group. There will not be one language group missing in heaven. Every tribal group. There will not be one tribal group missing in heaven. God wants it to be clear that salvation can cover anyone from anywhere who speaks any language through Jesus Christ. And we see that. Look at this next verse in Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10. Here's a glimpse into all the redeemed gathered in heaven. And look at how they're described. After this I looked, this is John writing, and behold a great multitude that no one could number. So the saved in heaven are a great multitude, a massive group of people that no one could number. But look at how else he describes them. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now you're going to be there. You're trusting Jesus Christ. You're going to be there. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, you're going to be there clothed in white robes, palm branches in your hands, which is a way of just saying adoration, praise, glory, and crying out with a loud voice. You're going to be there crying out with a loud voice until you can't cry anymore, although you'll have a, a redeemed voice, so maybe you'll just be able to keep crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You're going to be saying, I'm here I'm redeemed. The whole reason is because of you. Salvation is attributed to you, God the Father, on the throne and to the Lamb. And you'll be there with all the redeemed. And they'll be from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Now, with that in mind, let's look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the last line. In you, Abram, in your offspring, Genesis 22, 18, in Jesus Christ, Galatians chapter 3, all the families of the earth, people from every nation, skin color, race, language, culture, tribe, people from every family group, people group, will be saved. Not one language left out, tribe left out, race left out, people from every one of these groups saved. I think one of the reasons God wants to do this, one reason is because when a diversity of ethnicities and languages and cultures all worship Jesus Christ together, that shows that Jesus isn't just like one tribe's deity, but he is God of all. He's the Savior of all. And all different skin colors and languages worshiping the Lord, Jesus, it just glorifies, it just glorifies Christ. And so that's the Father's passion to see his Son lifted up and exalted. Now, one more phrase we need to understand. In you, we've got that, 
all the families of the earth, we got that, will be blessed. Now, how will they be blessed? And, and what will be the blessing that they will receive? To answer that, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Look at what Paul writes. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Now stop there. This shows us how we can be blessed. Because remember, due to our sin, we have all been under God's curse. All of us. So important that you understand that and that you have felt that deeply in your soul that with no excuses you have sinned knowingly and willfully and continuously against God and you've been under his curse. It's so important to understand that. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, now don't miss this. God could easily have just simply destroyed all of humanity and, and cast us into hell forever. It's been done with us. He would have been completely just to do so. He would have been righteous to do so. He did not need us. He's God, all-sufficient, full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. He could have just been done with us and moved on. But he loved us. And he cared for us. And he wanted to display the depth and the riches of his mercy, the glory of his mercy for his glory and for our joy forever. And so he did not just simply be done with us. What did he do? At great cost to himself, God the Father chose to punish his own son on the cross for our sin, his own son, blameless, spotless, beautiful, perfect, majestic, his own son, Jesus, sinless Jesus. And at great cost to himself, God the Father chose to punish his son, slaughtering his son on the cross, being, punishing him in our place for our sin. That's what he did. And then Jesus at great cost to himself, willingly, we read in the gospel, set his face to Jerusalem, willingly choosing the scourging, choosing the beating, choosing the nailing, and worst of all, choosing the cursing, being made a curse for us, having the wrath of God poured out upon him, Jesus at great cost to himself because he loved us so much, walked the path of Calvary, walked to the cross so that he could be punished in our place so that we would not need to be punished for our sin. So think about this. What kind of God? I mean, Jesus is fully God, the Son of God. What kind of God is willing to be punished for the sins of his rebellious creatures? A God whose love is incomparable. That's who. 
what kind of God is willing to punish his own sinless son for the sins of his rebellious creatures? A God whose grace and mercy and love is worthy of being adored and praised forever. That's who. So I want you to to feel this at this point. Even after the flood, after God had shown what sin deserves, after the world had filled with sin and God had destroyed all of humanity, the earth fills with sin again. And instead of destroying everyone, God reaffirms the plan of salvation through the line of Shem, Abraham, and he promises in you, in your descendant, in Jesus, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And because Jesus was willing to become a curse for us, we can receive the blessing of Abraham. And what is the blessing of Abraham? Read verses 13 and 14 all together again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, there it is, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through faith. So the blessing of Abraham, which all the families of the earth are going to receive, is the promised Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And notice how this blessing of Abraham is received. It's through faith. Right? Not by trust, us trying to be good enough or trying to earn it from God, but by trusting. So here's what this means. When you turn to Jesus Christ and with faith you trust him to forgive you and you trust him to change you and you trust him to fill you with himself, the joy of his presence and his love, when you turn to Jesus Christ and by faith you trust him, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The blessing of Abraham comes upon you at that moment. Prophesied thousands of years before in Genesis 12, 3, you've just received the blessing of Abraham. And what the Holy Spirit does is he makes the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son real in your experience. So you will have times when you feel God's very love pouring into your heart. You'll have times where you experience the very presence of Jesus Christ, and there is no greater joy than experiencing the the presence, the love, the majesty, the glory of God the Father and Jesus the Son poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the, the blessing of Abraham. Now, that's what God is promising all the way back. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways. First, trust Jesus Christ. So if you aren't already trusting Jesus Christ, I want you to see God loves you far more, far more sacrificially than you've ever conceived. God's love 
in providing Jesus as a savior was not just a, a slight manner for him. This was huge for the father, and this was huge for the son. At great cost, the father and the son have provided salvation for you. And so even though you've sinned against God, as we all have, God loves you, cares about you, has compassion for you, and you can be forgiven right now. I mean, right now, this moment, you're still under God's curse, but you could right now move from being under God's curse to being under God's blessing. Right now. Again, you don't need to, well, I've got to change this area of my life first. I've got to do this first. No, you can't change those apart from Christ. You just come to Jesus just as you are and you trust him. Forgive me. Change me. Fill me. Give me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if that's from your heart, that will happen instantly. And you'll move from being under the curse of God to being under the blessing of God. Why don't you trust him? This goes all the way back thousands of years. This isn't just some religion that popped up 100 years ago. We're talking back all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. Had its origins in the very plan of creation, the very beginning. This has all been happening all through the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. You have every reason to trust him. So trust Jesus Christ. And secondly... Worship God for his love and for his mercy. Worship him. I mean, think about it. Again, the entire world was under God's curse. God could have been done with us justly and righteously, been done with us. But he, at great cost to himself, made a way for us to be saved. Saved men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And so look at the beauty of this love. Look at the, the cost of his love. Look at the glory of his love. There is no more spectacular reality in the universe than God's love as displayed on the cross in Christ. Behold him and worship him. Love him. Adore him. That's second. And then third, live to bring the gospel to every people, tongue, and tribe. This is our marching orders. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of whom? All the nations. All the peoples. Just like Genesis 12, 3. All of them. Because I'm going to save some from all of them. So go into all the world. And listen, we here in Abu Dhabi are living in a place where we have lots and lots of opportunities to do this. Because we work with people who are from groups that are unreached when it comes to the gospel. We live next door to people who are unreached when it comes to the gospel. We rub shoulders with people where there's no churches in their home country. There's, in some cases, maybe not even any Bibles in their languages. We, we live and work and associate with people who may probably have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're here. You may not realize this, but that's why God brought you here. The job is important, yes, but this is another very important reason why God brought you here. This is why you're here. We are living in a place where we have lots and lots of opportunities to do that. So don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste this opportunity. And moving to Musafa later this Musafa later this next year is going to open up even more opportunities for us to reach people who don't have access to the gospel. So reach out, 
Move outside of your comfort zone. Build relationships. Invite over for coffee, for dinner. Hang out, spend time, love. Ask God, God, what can I do? How can I connect with this neighbor and show them love and share the gospel with them? God will give you concrete steps to take as you do that. This is God's promise to Abraham. In you, in your descendant, in your offspring, in Jesus, all the families of the earth, every nation, tongue, and tribe will be blessed with the promised Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity here to touch some of those peoples, nations, tongues, and tribes. Let's not waste it. Let's take full advantage of it. And let's stand together. So, Father, I pray that you bring your power upon us and take deep into our hearts this passage of Scripture. Take deep into our hearts the promise that in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Some from every people group will be saved and receive the promised spirit through faith in Christ. I pray for those here who are not yet trusting Christ. Lord, right now, would you draw them to yourself? Would you sub subdue unbelief, subdue any re rebellion, and draw them to Christ? We plead with you. Do that right now, we pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see your love more clearly so we would worship you more passionately adore you, exalt you, praise you, love you. And Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of the opportunity we have living here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to every nation, tongue, and tribe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.